This is Infidel One. Offending Coyote Down. Offending Coyote Down. Roger that. Welcome to Trappin' Radio. We're proud, organic, free-range, wild fur farmers of North America. Let me tell you a little story about how I was raised. Every day work, every day pray. God, family, friends, yeah, everybody sins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. Help folks in need, don't fall for greed. A jealous man is weak, so think before you speak. If you love them, let them know. If you hate, let it go. Fast can be fun, but sometimes you need slow. God is all good, the devil is so real. So listen up, y'all, because this is how I feel. I won't back up, I don't back down I've been raised up to stand my ground Take my job, but not my guns Tax my check till I ain't got none Except for the good Lord of above I answer to no one Now let's cover our sponsors. They do a lot to help support Trapping Radio. So I'm asking you guys out there and gals, to help support our sponsors as they keep trapping radio on the air. First sponsors, Oki Cable and Trap Supply. Jeb's the owner of this. He's out of Oklahoma, super guy. You'll not meet anybody nicer. It's somebody you're gonna wanna deal with. You can reach him at OKTrapSupply.com. You can give Jeb a call at 918-429-4648. Not only does he do trap supply guys, he's a fur buyer, so if you're around the Oklahoma or surrounding states, give him a call with your fur. When you need stuff, give him a call and he'll get it out to you as soon as he can. Our second sponsor is F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post. Everything you need for trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. Guys, if you're into trapping fur, hunting fur, chasing fur with dogs, you're not gonna be able to think of hardly anything that you can't get from F&T. You can reach them at fntpost.com. You can also give them a call at 989-727-8727. Whatever you want, F&T's got it. Wildlife Control Supplies. Proven solutions for wildlife control. Delivering value, expertise, and products to the wildlife individual. If you're in the ADC business, control business, even fur trapping, you need to look at these guys' website. Top-notch company, have everything you would want, even the odd stuff that ADC guys are looking for. You can reach them at wildlifecontrolsupplies.com. You can give them a call at 877-684-7262. International number is 860-844-0101. If you're a wildlife control professional, you need to have wildlife control supplies as one of your favorites on your computer or your phone because when you come across something that you need specialized equipment, Alan will get it right out to you. Now let's go traffic. Toting son of a gun, yeah, I'm hell on the heart, just a rebel on the run. Scared, don't know it, fear, don't feel it. The truth is the light, sometimes you gotta fight. Good beats bad, right beats wrong. I'm a ballroom preacher and this is my song. I'm climbing for the top, representing for the country. I'm the people's champ, right out to dead camp. Shotgun toter, Republican voter, Hank Jr. supporter, let's protect our border. 
to hell with anyone who don't believe in the USA. Cause this is what I say. I won't back up. I don't back down. I've been raised up to stand my ground. Take my job, but not my Welcome to Trapping Radio. This is your host Clint Locklear and we have a bang up show today with some really good news. Uh, I had a request from Facebook on what to do a topic on trapping and, and I think it's a great one. There's a couple so uh, part of it's going to be uh, today. Some of it's going to be in a couple of weeks. I've got a couple of shows scheduled to come up. Guys, if you want to know about something, not saying that I know everything, but I may be able to find somebody like I'm going to have to do on another show request. Let me, I mean, you can do it on Facebook, uh, you can email me, just let me know what you want to have on the show, and then uh, that way I can get to it. I've got some uh, some audio stuff I'm going to be putting up here for some other trappers, but I think this show is going to be pretty much burnt as far as time goes, so I'm going to get pretty much in the in the weeds on something. But uh, first off, I, I am, I'm very excited. I just got off the phone with John Daniels, which I plan on doing a show with next week. And uh, John Daniels is president of the Tennessee Fur Harvesters. He also does a lot with the NTAs, most of y'all know from an interview with Chip. And they, they, they've kept something very quiet, which we're gonna get into the reasons for this when I interview him. But I mean, we, it, it seems like outdoorsmen, I mean, you, every time you turn around, you're getting kicked in the nuts or the stomach or someone stomping on your toes or something. And you're just losing liberty and losing liberty and losing liberty. And this is one of those things where that's not the case. Now, uh, Tennessee Fur Harvesters went and talked to the TWRA, Tennessee Wildlife Resources Associate, uh, Administration Association, whatever they are, the, the, the animal popos, and they, they were talking about the 72-hour check and why that was that was dangerous, which I thought was a good was a was a good way to put it, because when you're when you're running actually it's 36 hour, but if you're running a boat line or you're in the the part of Tennessee like the Appalachians where I'm at, and you get a bunch of rain and all of a sudden you've got to go check checks that next day, you've got to make a decision a lot of times to actually, and I don't mean in a in a superficial you know snowflake type way but sometimes you put your life or your your uh, well-being in serious danger to, com to comply with that law because we flood so fast so hard here in the mountains or if you're on a river or they turn loose the dams or something like that you know in the back of your mind you're knowing if you don't check the traps and the game warden can get there or whatever and and they're shooting for you then all of a sudden now you're going to be in big trouble with fines, may lose your license. So it causes a trapper to do things he shouldn't have to do. And so what they're allowing people to do with body grip traps, because that's what a lot of most people are using in the water, if it's a lethal set, 72-hour check, kind of like Arkansas and, and different states like that, that is so needed in Tennessee. I mean, I, can tell, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a boat, a canoe, or a kayak, or something like that, and my rear end is suction cup to the seat so hard because there's no reason that I should be out there except to comply with that law. And this really got hit home with me probably 10, 15 years ago. Uh, there were some USDA guys that were going around in boats when some of our floods 
on the Tennessee-Alabama line and they were shooting beaver because when the water gets up so high it runs them out of their dens and everywhere and they're, they're on the banks and stuff like that. Anyway, a bunch of them guys drowned my dad thought, because at the time I was doing the, uh, a lot of beaver work, that it was me. He was all tore up. I mean, and then it got me thinking about how, I mean, just it, it's not worth sometimes what you do, and especially because of a law, to put yourself in that danger. Now, the TW, I mean, the, the USDA guys are doing it probably just because they thought it'd be fun, but it didn't turn out very well. The other thing is, uh, they made a law that made a bunch of people which I'm not going to admit anything on, on a podcast, but they made a bunch of people legal in the state of Tennessee as far as trapping. They, they made it where now you don't have to use rubber jaws. Now there's some people I'm told that refused to use rubber jaws for ethical and moral reasons and they decided to take the chance with the law and some people have got tagged, some people haven't. But now the law has made these people legal, which was the right move. So kudos to the legislation, TWA and Tennessee Fur Harvesters. Now in Tennessee, as long as you have a quarter inch jaw within the size limits of, of what the trap supposed to be here in Tennessee, you don't have to use rubber anymore. So that means you can laminate, you can offset laminate, they're, they're going back to the BMPs, which showed the offset lamination, stuff like that was much better for the animal than the rubber jaws, which is a cool thing because I'm gonna get in this a little bit with John Moore, but with what the, fur, the big fur auctions are doing where they wanna show the source and the means and methods of fur harvesting, in a state like Tennessee, if we weren't going by BMP practices, which we were not when we were using rubber jaws, that may actually hurt the sales of fur coming out of Tennessee, but now that's putting us up on a, a legal plane. Plus, it's it's a much better option because of uh, with modern traps, with offset, the laminated, and all that stuff as far as uh, domestic pet injury. So, I mean, it, it's the right thing to do. So that's good news. I mean, we don't hear that very much in trapping, and I just wanted to share that with everybody because. Before I talked to John, I got texts and emails. I mean, it was like my cell phone blew up like a nuclear bomb for two days about this. And I and I, I wanted to believe it, but I wasn't sure if I should believe it because you know how rumors are. And when I talked to John this morning, uh, he went through the whole process of why and how, and, and we want to do that in the show. But it's, it's a very good thing that's happened here in Tennessee, which goes to show if your state has things that the trappers need to change, maybe the way you go about it could be a little bit different. Like the safety issue of a 36 hour check when you have flooding and raging water and stuff like that in the winter time, that's a different view than we just want to be able to not check traps as often. So, you know, marketing and all that type stuff matters no matter what you're doing in life, guys. Words matter, context matters, strategy matters. So uh, keep that in mind. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, which is, on Facebook, a guy wanted to talk about Eastern cat trapping, and especially in the mountains and stuff like that, big woods, mountains, and that's what the main part of the show is gonna be on. And which is, uh, I've talked some about it, but maybe not in enough detail. So we're definitely gonna get into that in a crazy amount. But before I do that, I've got a question here for Al, or from Al, and it's, uh, he's from Canada, 
I run MB550s in some of my spots for coyotes. What's the advantage, disadvantage in adding expanded pans or running steel screen? Is one better than the other? Or is one better, let's see, is one better oh, than the other in certain conditions? I'm in, in Canada. I'm setting uh, them in topsoil in November, so I should have awesome sunny fall conditions or 18 inches of snow if that matters at all. Thanks, Al. Um, the screen, see, how can I put this? Screen to me is uh, let's say that you wanted Al, you wanted to come uh, you wanted to come down and see uh, Niagara Falls on the American side of the border. <clears throat> now you can take a car, which is more modern, up to date, easier to use, less problems, or you can use an older version of something, which would be a horse and buggy. So you'd have to get a buggy and figure out how to use the buggy. You have to feed the horses, you know, uh, deal with the horses, put the horses up at night, water the horses, all that type of stuff. You can still get to Niagara Falls on the on the U.S. side of the border and, and, and have a good time. Both will get you there. One is, an, is a massive upgrade and one is more older technology that was trying to do the best that it could at the time but it can't compete with the newer stuff and the reason I say that when when you look at guys that use steel screen and, and one of the biggest components of using a heavy steel screen was Craig O'Gorman he was pumping that out in the in the 80s and it was kind of an unusual thing you could get heavy screen more commonly then than you can now and uh, you can still like Craig still sells it it's really really stiff it's not like what you see at the hardware store today you know uh, when you go to what's at the hardware store and it's that aluminum stuff the little bit of advantage you grab from that aluminum stuff or that real floppy steel is it does allow water to drain through so if you get a bunch of rain it doesn't show up at your in your actual trap bed as bad so I mean that, that's an advantage uh, in, in unto itself now when the guys started going to the heavy steel screen, what they were trying to do was have a, a, a way to expand the pan so if an animal stepped in the jaws and didn't hit the pan with its paw, it could still fire the trap. And it wouldn't do the, 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 the droopy bridges, bridges thing that happens with a trap when you use paper or wax paper or something like that because you you have that solid surface that's saggy and you sift over and it looks good and then you get a big rain and it droops down around the pan and it just looks very very unnatural and animals don't seem to really appreciate that very much so you know they were trying to to have the water to go through so they could handle the rain better which it did and and it allowed them to get a little bit bigger pan because even with steel screen, unless you went to something like hardware cloth, which it would allow too much stuff to come through, but I'm talking like really, really stiff stuff. When you use even the heavy pan, uh, the heavy screens like I used to use religiously from Craig, it only really gave you a little bit outside of the pan if you were using any type of pan tension to expand that pan in. That's really all it did, but it was an advantage. 
you know, between the rain and a little bit of a bigger pan because of doing that, it was an advantage. The disadvantage is, unless you, and it, it's kind of one of those things, people that start using screen absolutely hate it because it is a technique and it is a skill set to use uh, steel screen to where you don't have bubbles in it, especially when you pack the trap down. Now, like anything else in life, once you do it 500 or 1,000 times and you stick with it, it becomes second nature. You figure out the little tricks and, and stuff like that, and you can bang them out all day long. I mean, I can use steel screen and not have bubbles. But when I first started doing it, I would spend a lot of extra time at sets because you go to pack it down and you rub up against that screen, all of a sudden it bubbles up and you got this big floppy section in the middle, which Kyle definitely would not like. And then you're sitting there piddling and piddling and piddling, but eventually you can get there. Now on a 550, you don't have, you know, you're dealing with a small trap to begin with. So um, you could use screen you're not probably going to gain a whole lot as far as pan extension but you're using a horse and buggy basically is what you're doing when you have the the technology to to get in a in a you know a truck and go down the road with it the 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 the, the pan the thing the reason that makes that so good is it doesn't flop like paper and it doesn't so you're, you're not dealing with the rain issues the same because it's solid now you can use pan covers with the extended pans or you can what most people do is use peat moss which you're only doing it around the edge of the pan just to keep rocks and and stuff from getting up under the pan so it can still fire and that 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 holds water and the soil up very well so you can get a tremendous amount of rain with a with a like a big pan like chip makes it expand a pan which is what i'd recommend with the peat moss and you got all the rain issues plus you've got a more of uh, advantage of having a solid wire screen because that's basically what that has done now Craig a lot of people think that I started this uh, big pan thing I didn't start it I'm the only one that's really made it uh, brought it out enough in public view to where it's became really popular you know but I didn't start that Craig had a deal with uh, the MJ 600, which which is an awesome trap, but the it had a little bitty pan in this awesome trap. So Craig had the factory build these plates to make an expanded pan. That's the first one that I've ever seen that was something besides just having a soup can or something tacked to the top. And and when, when and it took me like I don't know 15 years before I realized how important that could be. And then, and I went that and started using it. Now you've got, you know, guys like Chip that are making them commercially where they're bolt on instead of the welding and stuff that I was having to do. But by having that solid pan on top, when the dirt gets rain on it, it just sits there. Kind of like it was on concrete or something. And then with the peat moss, it, you don't have the sagging britches of, of, you know, paper or paper towels or toilet paper or whatever you're using. You don't have that issue either, but you have the 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 time saving of not having to deal with the screen pan you're not having to buy something that when an animal you know you may get to reuse them every now and then but your expense goes down because you're not having to buy screen because it's permanently attached to your trap you know that's a big deal you don't have the issues 
of the bubble that can happen a lot of times with the screen to you kind of get really get your skill level up on that. And as far as being in snow or in dirt, I don't think that really matters one way or the other. To me, I would say that the, anytime that you've got a positive bigger surface that's part of the me mechanical mechanism of the trap, you're gonna be better off, even in snow. Now, I, I've never used a, a big pans in snow. That, that's, not, that's not my deal. So if there's an issue with that, I can't imagine what it would be. Because if you, you know, I can remember in Alaska when we did warm up a little bit every now and then and it wasn't powder snow and you had traps and they would kind of crust over that when you're crusting on the solid mechanism part of the trap and the animal steps on it, then all it has to do is just crack around that ring and all it did was expand that pan even more and it'll fire. And I can see that in certain soil types. Like you can take uh, stuff with a high clay content in it and you can bed a trap in there and then it rains and the sun comes out and it cooks it. The only way that really that I've seen to somewhat, uh, besides using the right dirt in the first place, is uh, the, the big pans, the solid pans, it seems to just extend that crust and then when the animal steps on it, because it's not in like a little bitty area that's holding it up, it's the whole, the whole thing and it seems to crack around the inside the jaws and the trap goes off, as long as the springs can come up through the clay that is. So it definitely helps in that. So just by using uh, that type of logic, I'd say it wouldn't matter in snow. If there is issues with it with snow, I'm sure there's a way to get it out, but the, the, the cost savings, the, the time savings, and everything else, I would probably go with the, the, the full metal pan, you know. And if you, if you never used one of chips, all you do is take your, your, your bolt out where the, uh, the regular stock pan comes from, put a new bolt in it, and you, you, you bolt on the new one. It's not as complicated as what I was doing where I'm cutting out metal and I'm welding it to the pan and, and all that stuff. It's just a, a nut and bolt. You don't have to have a weld or anything like that. I think you're going to be happier with the, the solid pan. That's just my opinion. You know, I've used both. I've used both extensively, and you you would not get me to go back to steel after I went, just like I wouldn't want to go back to a horse and buggy when I can get in a Jeep and, you know, go 300 miles in, in, in a few hours. It, it just, there's not really a comparison there. So that that's the way I would answer that, Alan. I hope that helps you or gets you at least thinking about some different things about this, because you know, if you want to try the steel, I would uh, the screen. I would try it. But if you do try the the expand expander pans while you're testing the screen, what you're probably going to find out is the screens will be used less and less to you to you basically outfit all your stuff with the the big pans. That's that's just what I think is going to happen. Now, main part of the show, guys, is Eastern Mountain Cats, or let's say uh, Big Woods. Uh, big tracks of timber, uh, very different. Because when when a lot of it, it's amazing to me how certain ideas get forced everywhere in the world, and we're going to talk about one of them in a minute, which is rocks. But you know when Slim Peterson and all these guys out west that have a totally different terrain and they have a totally different travel habit of cats. 
they've done all these books because that's where the big money has been for cats. I mean, you know, even here where you're getting a couple hundred dollars for a, a big, beautiful Tom in the East and they're getting $1,100 in Nevada or Utah or something like that or even more, that's where it, it, it happens. Plus, because of the terrain and the way stuff is spread out, it allows the trapper to catch higher numbers of cats in a shorter amount of time. So like someone in the east probably that can catch um, 25 cats a year realistically can go out to somewhere in the west and once they kind of get orientated because they're in a strange place they can probably double or triple the amount of cats they catch if the cats are there once they figure out that you have all this dead area and then you have like honey hole spots and once you figure out what all you know the the commonalities between the honey hole spots are you just go from honey hole spot to honey hole spot and you leave all this other stuff out now in the east it's not that way there's very few honey hole spots in the east especially when you're talking big timber big woods big tracts of ground uh old growth you know stuff like that uh, you know you can go to somewhere like maine and where they have great big timber and they do have cats and there's certain things you can key in on, but you're not going to have honey holes like you do with what Johnny Thorpe called the cat factories, you know, in, in Arizona, New Mexico and stuff like that, where you have big rolling open desert. Then all of a sudden you have one great big long ridge that goes for, you know, half a county and it's full of rocks and all the prey species are there and all the rabbits and the, the different types of uh, mice species are living in the rocks and the birds and everything. That's where the cats are going to be. But when you're in the east, they can be anywhere because the food can be anywhere. And you have to, you have to kind of learn to, to uh, probably set more traps, be more patient, and, and use the... Uh, because one of the shows I'm going to do here before long is the power of, of uh, compound interest with trapping. And, and I don't think a lot of guys get that, but I don't want to go too deep into that today. But once you start finding these locations, you will find out over the years that you can go back and for the most part, pick up another cat there every single year. Cause there's a reason the cat was there, you know, but you're not going to go to a, you're not going to have a cat factory, you know, the way that you have out West, you know, per se, or great big dead areas. So you're, you're looking at this from a very different perspective. You mentally have to look at it from a different perspective. Your locations are different. Your equipment's probably going to be different. Um, the locations may or may not be very close together at all. You know, you're going to set a bunch of traps that are never going to catch a cat, even though in your mind they should. And eventually uh, you wise up a little bit. And, and you as you get more places that do catch cats, you build this lineup where all of a sudden now it seems like cats are really easy. Because, you know, getting a cat to work a set's not hard. Getting a cat not to mess a trap is a little bit harder. But getting a, in the east, finding the places to catch the cat is the, the hardest part of the whole thing. Which is very different, guys, of accidentally catching a cat. You know, it's, it's uh, you, you go out and you run fox traps and, and coyote traps and you, you know, you slam 10 or 15 or even 20 cats and you never set for them. So your brain starts going... Hey, this is this this is a dumb animal. I mean, uh, how hard is it to be? I'm not even trying, and I'm catching cats. 
Okay, big boy. Let's let's bust a hundred of them on purpose. Now you're going to find a trapper that's going to be highly agitated and you probably don't want to be around him after a couple of months because when you start to try to catch something in any type of numbers, the game drastically changes. I used to hear this all the time with otter. You know, well, I'm beaver trapping and catching otter. How hard is that? So, but when the otter prices jump up to 150 bucks a piece and those trappers that never had any respect for the otter because they just accidentally showed up every now and then, they were some ill people because they didn't understand how to actually go out and catch otter even though they have caught otter, if, if that kind of makes sense. So if you're going to consciously go out and strategically take on otter or, or bobcats, you've got to keep that in mind about what you're doing. And it changes what goes on in your mind and what you do on your line. So we're, we're going to jump into a, a lot of this. Now, there's two things that you have to understand about cats. They like to eat and they like to have romance. Romance is usually, depending on your uh, latitude, is going to be somewhere between January and March. And you have a big influx of tomcats that are running all over the place because they're horned dogs. And they're trying to get as much romance as they can. And that's a different way of trapping than trapping ones that just want to eat and, and make a living, kind of, which is normally the females. So you have to think about the time of year because it's going to change your location on a lot of it. So the reason I'm saying this, if you set up your trap line to catch roving toms that are after romance in, in January or February and you're doing this in November, you're going to have a lot of empty traps because the cats aren't using those type of travel ways. And at the same time, if you're setting it up for, for things that just want to eat in January, but you've got all these toms running around, you're going to catch some toms just because they're going to be more active, but you're going to miss a lot of them because you're not setting the locations where they're going to be at the time they're going to be there. So not only do you have to think about the the physical part of the set and location you also have to trap in time you know you have to think about the time of the year which is what you normally separates bigger number trappers from average to lower number trappers is that one thing right there their locations change with when they need to so time has to be really taken account into that so when they're when they're looking at females with food you look for places that have food. That makes sense. You're looking for uh, thicker areas. You're looking for cutovers. You're looking at different things we're going to talk about. But you're thinking about food. When you're thinking about uh, big toms and they're traveling, now you're thinking about how does a cat go long distances through a terrain and is there places that intersect a bunch of those and that's where you put your trap. So an example would be um, especially in mountains, you have, if you, if you look at a map on contour or you're looking at the map or you're looking at the mountain with visually looking at it and you've got this great big ridge that's say going north and south and it goes pretty much straight up and down and it's big timber because you know, it's no, you can't really cultivate it or anything and there's not a lot of houses and this that, and the other, but there's also probably not a lot of food because it's going to be older timber. 
so there's not a lot of cats there. But the, the big toms that want romance, they probably want to go east to west and west to east to be able to get more females to have uh, a relationship with. So how are they... <coughs> mm. Excuse me, I'll get some bone broth. So how are they going to cross that ridge to get there? Now, unless the ridge is perfectly flat, which does not happen, but let's say it was perfectly flat on top, then it's then what I'm going to tell you doesn't matter. But luckily, that's not the way things work. If you're looking at that mountain or you're looking at a contour mountain, you know how to read elevation. What you're looking for is the places going over that mountain that's lower than the other places that's on top of that mountain, which is kind of like a all different kind of words for it. But we're going to use the word draw. You know, some people call them hollows, coolies. They, they have all these different words where you have uh, lower places in the landscape, water flows off of them, stuff like that. Because the water flows there, there's usually more undergrowth, which means more food, plus who wants to climb to the peak of a mountain to cross over it if you can cut off 500 feet of going up and down? And, and, and the animals are exactly the same way. And it doesn't have to be that exaggerated. It could be uh, a 50-foot ridge where there's a couple of places where you have a draw that, that comes down in elevation uh, 20, 30 feet. You will find that's where all the animals are going to cross that. They don't look at things the way we do when it comes to uh, climbing mountains. They're not, you're never going to have a bobcat go over Mount Everest at the peak because in his mind, that'd be a waste of energy. That's something humans do. That's not something uh, animals do. So looking for places like that, or you can look at um, for traveling, what is, if you've got, a, if you've got uh, neighborhoods or houses or farms or whatever in, in around big woods or you have really big, big old growth or older growth woods, and then you have stuff that's been cut over at a different time and, and there's a little bit more cover there, you can bet almost all the toms are going to use that which you can see this on Google Maps. If you, if you look at your mountains, you'll see how things will work from a bird's eye view much easier than driving around. But you can see how they're going to move around. Is there a, is there a creek or a, a go around the edge of a swamp? You know, different things like that. You're thinking, how would a cat travel long distances and it's more convenient for him and there's more cover because the more cover, the more females, so the more fun he gets to have. You know, all that plays into condition. So how you're, where you're at in your, your trapping season is going to depend a lot on where you're going to be putting these cat, uh, cat sets. One of the biggest things that I've noticed in uh, trapping bigger timber is species separation. And, you know, if you're like, like, like I saw in Maine, when I was up there, you would have uh, great big blocks of one type of tree for timber. And then you would have uh, different types of timber, like say next to some of the bigger marshes or creeks or swamps or something like that. Or you may have pines and you'll have a bunch of birch or oak or uh, different things. So you'll have species for whatever reason, either planted or natural, you know this species likes it better over here and that one likes it better over there 
but as you're going down the road and you see say you're driving through a bunch of pine which doesn't hold a lot of food but you're driving through a bunch of old big pine and then all of a sudden you come to a different species of trees that's different I would probably put a set in there at least for the first couple of years to see what happens you know at that particular place because when you have edges now th this is something uh, I'm not gonna go into permaculture here but it really applies see I'm amazed at the patterns of life people want to separate everything and when they do they end up getting very little knowledge about what's going on patterns in permaculture one of the main rules is the edge is always more abundant so if I'm building a food forest majority of the food and the in the plants and stuff will be on the edge of that because there's more sunlight it's a different type of habitat all these different patterns that go into play now it's the same with bobcats when it comes to bigger woods when you have an edge and it's not for the edge uh, effect so much the way people talk about it it's because there's normally more abundance on that edge you're going to have different light coming in which is going to have different plants and stuff like that so if a predator is walking down uh, somewhat an edge of say pines and and oaks or, or elm or whatever he's going to have the choice of whatever's living on the pine side and he's going to have a chance uh, at whatever's living on the, the oak side for example because you're going to have different prey species that thrive in those two different environments so it's it really ups the food source when it comes to that so transitions in different type of plant life to me is, is a big deal when I'm in big woods because you can drive in big timber sometimes it seems like for hours and nothing changes and unless there's a reason for there to be a lot of especially in big timber if, if there's not a reason for a lot of wildlife to be there undergrowth or or something like that there's not going to be a lot of predators there so a lot of that is dead area like what is out west but there's a lot of stuff there if that kind of makes sense it's you know it's it's the bigger timber is not where you catch stuff in in great big numbers unless it's travel ways or transitions now here in the mountains of tennessee a lot of times what that is and if you've ever been to uh, smoky mountains or or a koi or anything like that where they have great big tracks of really big timber and you're driving along then all of a sudden there's an elevation drop from the road you know it may be full of of laurel and and different type plants it gets really thick in the bottom of these draws or it could just be on the side of a hill because it's holding water a little bit different or something like that and you're driving of all this monotony of big timber and all of a sudden you hit a long line for whatever reason of something I'm gonna get out and check it out I promise you that because that seems to be one of the things that makes a difference different ages in trees is something else you need to check out because there's a lot of timber being cut in big woods even if it was 20 years ago so if it's all pines per se and they're all uh, you know 70 foot tall and it's like that for a couple of miles or you know several hundred yards or whatever and you're going down the road and all of a sudden it the the trees were cut 20 years ago and these are only 20 feet tall I'm gonna look at that edge and see if there's game trails which you'll probably find or if there's any uh, sign at the road right there or whatever I would probably go ahead and put a set in 
and, and to see what happens. Um, me personally, so it's not just the species, it can be the, 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 the size of the trees because that actually gives you a different edge, you know, to think about such things like that. Now, the biggest thing that when I have, when I used to give a lot of instruction, because we have mountains here and rocks, and if you change the trees, it could look like the west, especially where I live because we have the big rock walls and you know the big you know there's some of these rocks around here as big as houses and stuff like that that guys that read all this stuff from the west I mean they're like clamoring to go to the rocks and they want to do what they do out west which is you get to the base of it which around here you need repelling gear or helicopter but if you wanted to walk you know a mile up the side of a ridge to get to one of these want to be unproductive for your time even if you did catch a cat but there's there's not normally roads on the sides of stuff like this in the east so you got these big rock walls that look like they do out west now see the difference is normally that is such a rough area in the east that that's the oldest growth timber there I mean no one wants to log it because it's a pain in the butt you can't really build on it a lot of times because it's so vertical and it, it's just not, it's like a big dead zone as far as prey species because there's not a whole lot there. But when, when trappers have been romanticized about Western style trapping, they see that they waste a lot of time trying to be a Western trapper in the East. And it really frustrates them. I've done it, guys. I've been there. I am embarrassed about how long it took me to figure out that maybe this is not the best thing to do. Every time you walk up to one of these things, I mean, you, you start getting the shit, you know, the little shivers and you're, you start getting all excited and you're picturing, you know, 45 pound toms with, with black and white spots on their bellies is, you know, big as silver dollars. And, you know, it, everything that you've thought about and read about starts like, oh man, this is it. This is Ray Charles could catch something here. And it was for them. I did catch some cats in those situations, but it was a very low percentage because it's different. So rocks to me here in the east don't really make a whole lot of sense. They don't. Now you can use rocks for um, to block in a cat. You can use rock structures to have your flag out in front of it. And if, there, if there's a cut into the rock or something, or you know, you can use the underside of rocks if they're just happen to be on location anyway for some weather protection, you know, if they come up and you can crawl under there yourself, we you know a cat can. You can use them to make toilets because they're easier to find once you do that, which we're gonna get into in a little bit. But they're not something I would really key on. Rocks out west make a big difference because they don't have a lot. And rocks, or they do make a big difference out west, but they don't seem to make that big a difference here. I don't know of anybody in the east that busts 50 cats that are rock trappers, which ought to tell you everything you need to know. Now, could they go out and catch two or three? Yeah. You know, but how many could they call it if they weren't sitting there so focused on the rocks? So this reason I want to start, don't get, don't get rock crazy on me here if you're going to be doing this in big timber. What, what I found in the in bigger woods is what I'm looking for with cats. If I'm driving down a road or on a four-wheeler or something like that, 
I'm probably going to set the majority of the bigger bottom areas. So, you know, if I'm on top of a ridge and it dips down, I'm going to set it. If I'm, if I'm at the, you know, somewhat at the base and it's just hilly everywhere and I've got bigger draws that are a little more open, you know, so it lets a little more light in. There's more stuff down there at the bottom for, for prey to eat. I'm probably going to concentrate on those mostly. Now, there's always a, a caveat to this. If you look at a ridge at a map or through Google Map and you notice the top of the mountain is somewhat flatter or it's a long, long ridge that's somewhat flat and you don't have all these drop-offs everywhere and it goes for a long, long way cats will use those that what i'm not talking about is when you look at west virginia for example and you go up and down up and down up and down up and down that's not what i'm talking about now if you found uh, uh, a section in west virginia where uh, you know like at the top or on the side of the mountain even it kind of levels out and it does it for a long 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 way like you'll find on some of the old logging roads that are on the side of the mountain and not on the top or the bottom that can be a heck of a location. So long ridges or razorbacks is what Johnny Thorpe used to call them are, are not that common, but they are pretty productive, you know, but it's not, it's, it's a special feature in the landscape that you, you, you find when you find those, they're not that common. But when I do find them, I do set them up and I do catch cats because basically they're using it more for a travel way than they are hunting for the most part. You know, um, that, that's what it seems to be to me anyway. So I'm looking for the bottoms or I'm looking for the top or I'm looking for a structure of some kind on the bottom. Like I've got a, a client in, in Alabama. He's got 18 foot, uh, 1800 foot uh, mountain range on his 1800 acres. So at the bottom, it's, um, you know, it's fields and it's this and the other. That 1,800 feet is steep. I mean, if you, you couldn't, you'd get car sick going up it if you could go fast enough if the roads were in better shape. I mean, it's winding back and forth and everything. But halfway up that, there's an old logging road from some, some time period where they cut a bench out on the side of that mountain and cats use it. Now, I've, I've had him for a client for years. And I've played around with different things. Now, see, interestingly enough, it's, it, to me, it's kind of a neat structure. You've got all this farmland in the bottom. Then you've got the side of this mountain, and you're, you're probably talking 900 feet up on a steep angle. And then you hit this shelf. And then another 150 yards up from that is you hit the classic straight up and down rock wall uh, and then you're on top of the mountain up there. I've set the rock wall and I've never caught a cat. I set the shelf and I probably have caught 20 or 30 cats over the years, which is that old road type thing. You can't really drive down it, but you can see that's what it used to be. And I think a lot of that has to do is cats like to be on that edge and be able to look over, which we're going to get into here in a minute. But they, they like to be able to see in the end, um, that's, that's why I think that they're there. I really don't know. But look for structure on the side of, of stuff and, and you'll be okay. Now, 
one of the things in, in, in mountains you need to try to figure out where it's at is the water, uh, which is going to be in the valleys, of course. But um, those hold a lot of cats. There's a, there's a lot more action going on as far as for them to eat and, and chase stuff around and different things like that. So in the valleys of this big timber, especially in the mountains in the east, I concentrate heavily on the water sources. And to me, it doesn't have to be but two or three feet wide or it can be a hundred feet wide. It didn't really make any difference to me. It, it's something that a cat will, will travel up and down for long periods of time. So it puts me in contact with a lot more, more cats. A lot of times when you get down and you start looking at some of these mountain streams, it seems like there's not a lot going on with them. You find beaver flowages, you find otter, uh, otter sign, uh, sometimes you find muskrats, you find um, because of the way, because you have that opening of the water, you have a lot more vegetation on the banks, which is going to hold more predator species and different things like that. So to me, that is really, if you want to call them that, a honey hole in big timber in mountain areas is actually the creeks. You know, and, but just, just be honest, you're not going to find most places anyway where you're going to have a ton of that up there. The other thing is where you find ponds, whether man-made or natural. That edge of a pond is going to have the sunlight, have different and more vegetation, which is more predators, which is a hell of a cat set. So the edges of ponds and stuff like that. On the more flat bottom grounds, if there's a lot of water coming off that, that mountain, sometimes you will find, which I'm not sure what you call them, but they're like almost like glades or swamps or something like that. The edges of those, awesome for cats. And you can, you can hear, you see now why you, you do a lot more uh, trying different things out when you're in the mountains and stuff like that than you do if you're if you're out west you know but water to me is a big deal because the water if it holds beaver you've got a food source even if they don't get to eat a lot of them they sure try they got they know that they have babies and it smells good and you have that caster smell everywhere and they're once the beaver move in they make their own environment, so now there's more prey species for the cats to eat, and cats just instinctively know this. So when you find beaver flows in the mountain or whatever, that's that's another hot spot to me. Beaver dams, you can, you know, if, if the creek's 20 feet wide and you come across a beaver dam, you look on the top of that dam, you're going to see a trail where the animals are using it. You can catch cats on the dam, you can catch cats at the edges, you know, you can... Uh, you can draw them out on the dam with a flag and have snares on it or body grips or footholds as blind sets. You can put sets on the edges. I mean, there's, it's, it's unlimited to what you could do. If there's a beaver house that's close to the edge, you know, that's a heck of a place for uh, a bobcat set. If you find bank holes and, you know, you can smell the beaver coming up out of there like bent holes, well, right there is a good place to put a set because every cat's going to come by and investigate it. You'll also find a lot of scat around those type things. If there are beaver and they have slides, the cats use those slides. So you can go up on the high bank or even set snares in, in the middle. I don't know how many bobcats I've caught beaver trapping with beaver snares where the cat's coming up or down the slide. Just checking it out. You know, they smell the beaver, you know, dragging their butt on the mud and stuff like that.
you know so you, you have to keep all that in mind so when you're in the woods you know you have to be a lot more creative is not the right word you have to be a lot more opti uh, no, not op opportunist that's not right either um, you have to be more observant about what's going on because the casual observer that's going through big woods doesn't see all the changes and stuff that's going on around him as far as plant life and draws and water and stuff like that it all looks the same to them but to a cat trapper once they kind of get a hang of this it's not like that anymore so you know always look at that water massive big old generational deer trails oh bobcats know where every one of them's at you can set on the trail uh you can snare it you can you can uh do body grips you can do buckets you can do all kind of stuff you know if you've got a tremendous amount of deer pressure on a place and because of a deer trail you know, and it's legal, that's where the bucket system's kind of, you know, like the new pans that you're starting to see more and more on body grips, that's where they really come into play. Because you can set those right off of deer trails and you're not gonna have deer issues or snapping off your traps and stuff like that. So, you know, you have to be creative on how you get around different things, but deer trails are really big because they know where they're at. Um, a lot of times those deer trails are going to be going from cover to a food source or to water so it's not a bad idea during your scouting to follow some of those deer trails for a little bit of ways and see if you can figure out what's going on you might find a spring if there's not a lot of water in the area that you didn't know was there you might find a creek a cave you know anything like that you find all kind of stuff when you get off the road a little bit is what i'm trying to say the roads that go through mountains are definitely cat locations. They're more convenient because you're on them already because that's how you're doing it. Four-wheeler trails, a logging road, stuff like that. You know, so if you're driving down the road and you come across a section where, say, you've got 20-year-old pine trees and 5-year-old pine trees, or you've got really old timber and you get a, a break for whatever reason into something else, on the road right there, that's a place sometimes you can find sign or it's just a good place to put a set. Now you can go, and I, but I, I'm gonna tell you this and most of you won't listen to me anyway when it comes to bobcats. I don't know why I'm wasting my time, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Intersections in big timber for cats is not that productive because that's not the way cats use roads. Cats use roads when you follow the sign of them they come out, they stay on them a little bit, and they go back in the woods. So they're not like coyotes where you have two intersections of roads where their coyote may go for, you know, two miles, and he may cross two intersections, which are two trap locations. But for a cat, it's not quite like that. They just don't get on a road and stay on that thing forever. You can see it in the snow. You can see it in sand. You can see it everywhere. They just don't sit there and cruise roads like coyotes. But guys that are so focused on intersections that only set the intersections, they miss more cats than they catch. So you can take that for what it's worth. But, but I know that the intersection location is such a religion in trapping now that most people are never gonna listen to that anyway, but you, you can take it for what it's worth. Okay, one thing that I've, I've, I've had pretty good luck with when I find them is uh, the old Indian, uh, the old Indian stone houses like around here or old homesteads. 
in the mountains where you have the barns that you know basically just all crumbled you have a little bit of structure there the old house foundation different things like that i think from a curiosity point of view and plus because you have all the the stuff that's rotting and on the ground which holds a lot of mice and different things cats seem to focus on those when they're around they seem to spend some time hunting around them so putting a couple of sets around an old homestead even if it's grown up around it i've had pretty good luck with so you you want to keep those in mind when you're doing it now one of the the best locations <coughs> that i found in mountains in big timber is the rock ledges and i just told you they were not the best places but not the way that you're thinking on top of the rock ledges you will find a trail almost every single time and the cats wear that son of a gun out now the way most cat trappers set a, a rock wall is they go to the base and they butt up against it and all that type of stuff that's what i'm talking about i'm talking you climb up the rock wall like spider-man and then as soon as you get on the level on top that's where i'm talking about so you know from a road point of view you're gonna have to figure out where your trails and stuff come close to those so you can go find them the top of those ledges are the overlooks cat just just they seem to like it i think they're like hanging out there and checking out the view and stuff like that plus it's a barrier so if a, if a tom or something is trying to get from point a to point b and you got a 40 foot straight drop there's a good chance he's not going to be using that he's going to be on top now one thing about these rock walls that you need to look for and to find what I'm getting ready to tell you, you're going to have to get out of the truck and, and put some, uh, some shoe leather mileage behind you. A lot of the rock walls, one of the, I've got a, a client here in Tennessee that he's got one of these rock walls that's straight up and down. There's one place in that rock wall where animals deer coyotes cats they can climb up it without too much trouble it's only about four or five feet wide i don't just from erosion over the years it's filled in with leaves and stuff like that but it's like a trail that, that gives a cat a chance to go from one type of location where you got a wall that's trapped him in there that's the escape route or that's the the way to do it all the animals know where they're at now as far as setting snares and stuff on that you need to be careful because every deer in the country also knows where that's at so you know use some common sense when you're setting these up because these get a lot of traffic i haven't found a whole lot of these but they're hot when you do find them now another another place in bigger country that that used to have or still has coal mining going on especially where they do the big pits there's a lot of places around here where they used to bring coal out they'd strip it off the top you're going on on going along and all of a sudden you've got these massive holes that are sometimes 30 and 40 foot deep and they can be 10 15 acres or an acre some of them are full of water some of them are not now just like the rock walls on the tops of those things you have trails and i've caught a ton of bobcats up there on right on the edge of that but you can also be accounted when you find these big holes they had a way to get in and out of those holes 
which is going to be some form of a road system. Even though you might not be able to drive down it now, the animals can walk up and down it. But that is a heck of a cat location there because they will cruise the edge and they'll use that road to go down and check out whatever's down in there. So keep those in mind when, when you're doing that. Spoil piles where people have, uh, you know, used bulldozers over the years and, and piled up a bunch of brush and stuff that holds a lot of prey species. Check those out. Springs, I can tell you from, from spending time with Johnny Thorpe, he, he's caught quite a bit of cats in his spring hole sets. Cats have to drink just like everything else. And the, the way he does the spring hole sets, you know, he catches them. But you could just as easy put a regular traditional style bobcat set, you know, 10 feet away from the spring and then still catch the cat. So that definitely holds over. Now, cutovers, when you find them, are going to be, especially if they're in year, say, 2 to 10, that's usually a pretty hot spot for prey. So you need to be checking those things out for your bobcats. So you're just looking for all this type of stuff. Sign in the mountains is harder to find. There's no doubt about that. You got a lot of leaves and duff and and you know you're you're not normally dealing with with real pure mud where you got a lot of action going on. You don't have, you know, great big sand blows and you know, so finding sign is not always going to be as easy. But you'll be amazed how much sign you find if you keep your eyes to the ground. One way I can tell when I'm around someone that does a lot of trapping or, or an outdoorsman that does a lot in the outdoors, their eyes are on the ground more than they are anywhere else. Because that, that's how they can read the world around them is, is through that type stuff. So, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, visual, <coughs> visual distance in the woods can be a challenge. You know, so your sets may be on a general location but the the flags are set up so it can cover more area or you may have to have two sets close together in a decent location to cover both aspects so let's say you've got uh, a big timber change or next to a cutover but there's like a little knoll there right kind of at the middle or the road takes a sharp curve now what normally happens is you get out and you'll put one set but on the other side of that knoll or right around that that corner that's right there basically at the location you may be missing 50 percent of the cats that are coming through because they'll never see your set so if there's a small knoll where i lose visual of the flag i'll go on the other side and i'll put another set on the road even though they're maybe only 100 yards apart so whichever side of that the cats cross at least I have a chance of them seeing the flag and not a 50-50. If there's a curve in something, some type of structure with a road, and the cat can walk out in one place but not see around that other edge, I'm going to have a set on both of them. So that's one thing you need to keep in mind. When you're in the mountains, uh, with with you don't have a lot of coon normally, but uh, they're pretty nice they're pretty big and when you're when you're finding these type of locations you're probably not going to be putting out you know five or six sets at each one guard them things with dps guys because nothing is more heart-wrenching to a cat trapper it's been waiting on a cat he finally comes through you got a you got a coon sitting there in your cat trap and you see cat tracks or cat droppings right where the cat was there but he couldn't get in it because you didn't guard your set so when, when I'm in those situations, you know, I've, I've got my FB1s and FB2s set up on drags. It only takes me uh, 30 seconds to put them in. 
I'll try to shortcut the, the coons to get to the cat set because they're going to go to the flag just like the cats are. I try to get them caught and out of the way. Luckily, you're not dealing with great big numbers in the mountains. But guard those cat sets just like you would anywhere else. Coil springs or long springs for big woods, that could be a personal preference for you. Um, I like long springs more when I get into big timber just because the ground, for the most part, is going to be a lot more spongy because you have a lot more organic matter and the long springs just help bed that a little bit. You know, but that's personal preference. If you've never used them or you don't like them, it, it doesn't matter. But it's just something to think about a little bit there. You can, you're you going to stake, you're going to cable, or you're going to drag. If I'm in timber, I'm probably not going to stake anything, to be honest with you. Minimum, I'm going to use um, extension cables, wrap them around a tree, forget about it. You haven't wasted a lot of energy. Um, nothing's going to get away from it. And it's, it's simpler most of the time. It's lighter on your vehicle. It's lighter on you. I'm using drags just because that's what I use. You know, um, they work fine in big timber, especially a, a very aggressive drag. It's going to hook a root and stuff here directly, so I'm not really worried about it. Um, one tool that you'll want to think about when you go to the woods is a mattock. Now, you can use digging hammers and stuff in cropland pretty easy. You get in the mountains with all the roots and the, and, and the moss and you root mats is more what I'm talking about. To get a set in sometimes with a regular digging hammer drive you crazy. What I like is a fireman's tool. After watching Matt Jones use that and land between the legs, that's pretty slick. So I've got a fireman's tool with a fiberglass handle that's got an axe head on one side and a, a mattock on the other. And I can, I can cut roots with the axe side or I can cut smaller roots with the mattock side and I can get my sets in a whole lot better. Plus I can tear the ground up to give it more visual and I'm not burning as much energy. Another thing you may want to think about having when you go in the mountains is a small chainsaw. It can be electric because you're, you're not cutting you know, firewood, but sometimes stuff falls across the road you need to get to where your sets are at, so you need to be able to get that out of the way. More than that, if you've got draws and you have trees, especially hemlocks and stuff like that, or pines that still have um, leaves on them or whatever, and you've got a draw and you can kind of see where the trail would be if the tree wasn't there. Take that chainsaw and just cut out a slot, you know, two feet wide in the middle of that tree. Hang a snare, put your blind set there, put a set right there. And it's an easy way to get around, you know, okay, are they going to the left? Are they going to the right? Or are they sneaking under over here or whatever? You can give them the road that they want really quick with a chainsaw. So... That comes in really, really handy, especially on snares. Because if you've got, uh, you know, like one of the, um, say like one of the rock ledges, and there's an old tree that's you know, like half fallen down, and say it's it's a, a hemlock or something like that, and it's at an angle or whatever, you know where it's going to fall. If you went ahead and cut that tree and let it fall across that trail and cut you a slot there on the trail, you completely have that cat hemmed in. So it's just one of those things that's good to have. Even in big timber, guys, don't forget kayaks, canoes, small boats, stuff like that. If you can traverse that water, you're going to be into a lot of different cats. Plus, you're going to see a lot of different things that you'll probably never see from a vehicle. You know, uh, if it was in deer season and you, you, you can get in and float 10, 15 miles 
in the in the big woods and have someone pick you up or figure something out like that and it's deer season for goodness sake you know have you a good 44 or 30 30 or something in the thing with you that way at the end of the day you got you some deer meat along with some bobcats so but don't forget the water even though most people don't think about that when they get up there there's a lot of stuff that hangs around the waters and the mountains and in, in the creeks on the bottom if you can use it i mean for goodness sake use it now the last thing and i'm really going to get in detail on is making toilets and you can do this in in mountain areas and it's it's pretty simple if you've got friends that have house cats ask them that they you can come clean their their kitty litter box for a couple months you'll have all the turds you want just take the bag with the 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 kitty litter and all put it in some buckets or something you know where you've got a couple of gallons of that and in different things and when you find places that you think may have cats you can you can pick your place and just dump that on the ground come back in a couple of months and see if bobcats start using it what you're going to find is a lot of times they do and one thing that you can do if you have your chainsaw with you is there's always going to be you know drop timber and stuff like that in bigger woods if you cut a couple of logs that say are six eight feet long and then you 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 set them side by side so they're parallel but they're only you know 15 inches you know from each other run them in parallel where you think the location's at dump your kitty litter and your your uh, domestic house turds in there with the urine and stuff and then you can build cat toilets and you can come back and check them now what you're doing is you're building your generational future sets by doing this some will work some will not what did it cost you to do that pretty much nothing so it's not like it's hurting you anyway whatsoever to go do this while you're out there and you find you say you get a good cat toilet location so you know there's cats that use this for whatever reason you know why not go ahead and make what I what I consider, you know, decade cubbies. Old school heavy wood cubbies. Six, seven feet long, couple of feet high, you know, like little log cabins. You can you can put your lure and feathers and stuff in there when it's snowing and raining, you have traps under the cover. You can go back to it every single year. You know where it's at every time a cat gets caught you know in there or you know any peeing and pooping and stuff like it's just getting hotter and hotter and hotter and it's one of those ways that you can you can really in a localized trap line build up some pretty hot spots over time and you know the cool thing about it just think about this you build some of these out of uh <clears throat> whatever's around you like uh cedar Osage orange or black locust, something that doesn't rot, a cypress, something like that that's around you to build these out of. Your kids could be catching cats out of the set that you made when they were a baby. They know where it's at because you'll probably show them, at least I hope you would. It could be a traditional type thing. And I mean, how cool would that to be to know that your kid's 40 years old with their kid going, you know, this is where grandpa was catching cats back in the day. You know, stuff like that, you know, it doesn't always have to be high production. Sometimes it can be memory building or future memory building by doing stuff like this. Plus you'll find out with these type of cubbies, 
it, it makes your life a lot easier. So, you know, just, just keep that stuff in mind. Now, we're going to end the show, but uh, Monday is going to be Memorial Day. Guys, in case you don't understand exactly what that is, Memorial Day is not Veterans Day. So, you know, telling veterans thank you is not a bad thing, but it's not what the holiday's meant for. That's meant for a memorying of the guys that are no longer here. You know, the greatest generation, um, the vets that's died in the last decade, stuff like that. That's for them, not for the vets that are alive today. So, and but think about that a little bit. <clears throat> and the, the one thing to keep in mind, when I get so excited and passionate about a lot of the stuff politically and, and that's going on today, a lot of that comes from it's embarrassing for me when you look at the country today built on the bones of soldiers that died for the craziness that happens today in our in our country like I don't even know how somebody like President Obama could ever visit Arlington I mean how I, I just can't imagine what that would be like, you know, or maybe before they send troops over to uh, different places for corporate interest and different things like that, that, that people do and are just political gamesmanship. Maybe they need to hold the vote to send the troops over somewhere from the middle of Arlington with taps in the flags and everything like that to let them understand the seriousness about what they're doing because the bones that are in that ground to me when I when I it's it's an old thing from a Stephen uh, King book that I say a lot because it meant a lot to me is uh, don't forget the face of your fathers those guys in the ground that's our fathers not the politicians not not you know cowboys or or whatever those guys are really the face of our fathers and when we do things that would make them ashamed it pisses me off and i get highly excited thinking about that you know when we waste soldiers the way that we do a lot today for for we don't even know why anymore it, it's just wrong but those guys that that are in the ground that's what memorial day is for and i'm gonna i'm gonna do a song today which i've done before and if you never really listened to the words uh maybe listen to it twice because it's uh you want to know about the people that are in the ground in arlington and the different veterans that, that are all over the world buried and in different places you want to know what they were like listen to the words of this song because that is what a warrior is and keep in mind guys it's always better to be a warrior that's a farmer than a farmer that has to go to war With a need to bleed you with a lie
in the zone to be From a yin to my yang to my yang to see Put a grin on my chin when you come to me Cause I'll win, I'm a one of a kind And I'll bring death to the place you're about to be Another river of blood running under my feet Forging a fire little long ago Stand next to me, you'll never stand alone I'm last to leave, but the first to go Lord, make me dead before you make me whole I feed on the fear of the devil inside Of the enemy faces in my sight Aim with a hand, shoot with a mind Kill with a heart like Arctic ice Gonna do with the 